for Thursday, July 15th, 2021. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE, answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, the Delta variant of the coronavirus is more transmissible and slightly better at evading vaccines because of changes to the knobby bits on the outside of the virus. So that knobby bit changes the way that it actually connects to parts of the body, and it changes the available locations on it for cells to recognize that it is what it is. Dr. David Brett Major, an infectious diseases physician at the University of Nebraska Medical Center, joins me for a deep dive into the Delta variant and what it means for the future of the pandemic. That's next. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. From WABE Studios, the podcast where they read stories is a new children's storytelling podcast featuring notable Atlantans and performers reading classic and contemporary children's books. Each episode contains a story meant to entertain, inspire, and inform young listeners. No screens required. The podcast where they read stories features adaptations from both chapter books and picture books. Join us at WABE.org slash stories podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. WABE. What makes the Delta variant of the coronavirus more transmissible and a bit better at evading vaccines? Mutations in the actual shape of the virus, says Dr. David Brett Major, an infectious diseases physician at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. He's with me now for a deep dive on Delta and what it means for the future of the pandemic. Dr. Brett Major, thanks for talking with me. My pleasure, Sam. What would you like to talk about? Well, I want to chat with you today about the Delta variant. This is something I think people have been hearing a lot about as of late, but I don't know if folks really understand how it's different from other strains of the coronavirus and what really the implications of that are. So let's start there. The Delta variant of the coronavirus, what does make it so different from other strains that are circulating out there? I think that keeping track of the many variants that come up that are sometimes labeled as of interest. And then if we think that there's going to be a clinical or community impact are labeled as of concern is a daunting task for anybody. And for those who are curious about this and like more information, the CDC website's actually quite good. And if you go to cdc.gov, you can get to a page on variants And what they have is a list of variants grouped by whether they're of interest or of concern. 
And it not only talks about some of the technical details of the genetic sequence, but it also gives a summary regarding the attributes of the variant. And so I'm actually looking at the Delta variant box on the CDC website, the B1617.2 variant. And first, it is useful, I think, to understand what these variants have in common. And what all of these variants have in common is that the spike protein is different. And so the spike protein on coronavirus is a knobby bit. If you were to look at an electron micrograph of coronavirus, it is called a coronavirus because it looks like a crown. And there are rather uniform knobby bits around the surface of the virus. And it is those bits that our bodies recognize that allow that virus to enter cells and do its work. And it is also often those bits, the knobby bits, the spike protein, that our immune system recognizes first when we have antibodies against the virus. And so that spike protein is a double-edged sword. It is part of the mechanism for how the virus does its work, and yet it is the most accessible early target of the virus that our bodies can look at and go, wait, I know what you are, I know you were a problem, and I'm going to mount a defense. So what is it then about this spike protein, these kinds of knobby bits on, on the outside of the virus that makes Delta so concerning? That is a little bit like asking why are trees green <laughs> in the sense that they emerge. So if there is a lot of virus around, a lot of people who are able to receive, become infected and amplify that virus, the virus has an opportunity for variations to take hold. And so they do that largely randomly. There are always errors when the virus tries to reproduce. And if it's conducive for the virus to have changed, well, that change succeeds. And if it is not conducive to the virus to change, well, then that virus doesn't. So if you have a coronavirus, if you have a SARS-CoV-2 in a person, and there's a random change, and that random change makes your vaccine immunity more effective, or it makes your natural history of exposure and immunity more effective, or it makes you less infected and less sick, well, that, that change isn't going to succeed. It is only the changes in the structure that give it some advantage in the setting where it is. And that is why, regardless of which variant you're focusing on at the moment, and regardless of whether or not you have been vaccinated, that is why everybody needs to continue to be mindful about the usual measures. And when COVID-19 is prevalent in your community, being mindful of aggregate settings, using masks when appropriate, participating in quarantine, isolation, and proactive screening and surveillance. So that all becomes effective. But that spike protein, it, it basically it changes shape. So that knobby bit changes the way that it actually connects to parts of the body, and it changes the available locations on it for antibodies to glob onto and for cells to recognize that it is what it is. And and so it seems like what we're talking about here is is 
really survival of the fittest, right? These chance mutations happen, and if it makes a virus more fit, then that virus spreads more. So what are we seeing with Delta that makes it fitter? Well, the CDC site lists a variety of substitutions in the sequence that lead to its change in shape, but it is the change in shape. And that change in shape makes it a little bit harder for antibodies to grab onto it while still preserving its ability to enter cells. And so without calling our friends who were, uh, who were, who were protein structural biochemists and, <laughs> you know, and getting everyone on the, on the software, it basically leaves the knobby bit parts that grab onto the part of the cell while hiding or removing the code that your body already knows what to look for. Um, now, it's not a light switch. It's not an on and off switch. It is not, this is a variant, this is a successful variant, and so I have no immunity. It doesn't work like that. In fact, early estimates are that even though maybe three out of five rather than four out of five or more people who are vaccinated are protected from infection against the Delta variant, four out of five or even nine out of 10 or more people are protected against severe disease from the variant when they've been vaccinated. So just because you have a successful variant, that does not mean that you're not getting value from having been vaccinated. Taking all this into account, David, do we know enough right now to say with any certainty that this strain of the coronavirus, the Delta variant, does cause more severe disease in, in people whom it infects? We are seeing younger, healthier people moderately and severely ill with the Delta variant. This is always a tricky thing to figure out epidemiologically. When the emergency started last year, like many severe acute respiratory infections, we saw it first in those individuals most vulnerable. And so we saw it in individuals who were older, who had lung disease, who smoke tobacco products, who have other things going on in their health that made them more vulnerable to consequences from a severe acute respiratory infection. As time went on, those people became less and less available to viral exposure and severe outcomes. Either they started to have those severe outcomes already. We were devastated here in Nebraska in long-term care facilities like many locations around the world. And then that also was an age group that was heavily targeted with vaccination. Then the opportunity for the virus was with younger and healthier populations. And so the changes that succeeded are changes that succeed in those groups. So it does look like younger, healthier people than what we experienced very much last year are susceptible to having poor outcomes with this variant. It's also possible that that signal is in part just because they are the available population. And so that is, that is what we see. But early data does look that way. And I'm wondering, too, about people who have completed a vaccine regimen. We touched on this briefly a moment ago, but I want to dive a little bit deeper. I mean, what are the implications of, you know, the Delta variant for folks who are fully vaccinated at this point? For the vaccine products available here in the U.S., and again, this is 
early data, and most of this information is in is in preprint, but it is getting a, a bit more robust. For the Delta variant, it seems that if you are vaccinated and you have an mRNA product, that you are, instead of maybe nine out of 10 people being substantially less likely to get infected, maybe three out of five, so down to about 60% for infection. To put that in perspective, that is good for seasonal respiratory vaccination and seeing a community effect. The influenza vaccine, we get very good results across the community from the burden we could see with seasonal influenza. Seasonal influenza can be bad. Um, and we see performance of that vaccine between 30 and 60%. So, so that is still a pretty good protection against infection. Against severe infection, it's thought that it's much better, that it's nine out of 10 people who are vaccinated and who have gotten infected have substantially less risk for severe disease if they're vaccinated, even with the Delta variant. So again, vaccination is apparent as a tool, not only to prevent infection and severe outcome, but also to decrease the opportunity that's out there for these variants to rise. More virus equals more variants. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? I'm Sam Whitehead talking today with Dr. David Brett Major. He's an infectious diseases physician at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. We're discussing the Delta variant of the coronavirus. It's my sense, David, that parts of the country that are seeing increases in um, community transmission right now, much of that is among unvaccinated people, and public health officials have linked that to this variant. So talk with me a little about that. I mean, what, what are the implications of Delta for folks who have not completed a vaccine regimen? Well, they continue to be at risk. And the problem is, of course, that it's going to mean more cases, and it's going to mean more severe cases. And that is going to be a, um, it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy <laughs> of, of transmission. And you, you really can't ignore case count rises regardless of the variant. You know, if, if cases are above five cases per 100,000 or 50 cases per million, then our experience from last year in this pandemic in the U.S. is that case counts continue to rise and they continue to rise heartily. And so if any of us who are in communities where case counts are starting to climb and more disease is present, we really need to be being thoughtful about aggregate settings, mask use, personal and environmental hygiene, participation in active surveillance, screening and testing, and appropriate use of quarantine and isolation. That, that all matters, and that matters for everybody. It absolutely matters for those who are not vaccinated. And even though we get additional protection when we are vaccinated, like my household, it is also true that the level of our protection is attenuated when there's plenty of virus to be getting on with. I, I had a, a graduate student last semester who, who did a, a really nice paper on outbreaks of, of mumps in the southeastern United States years ago and was able to demonstrate really nicely, she did a, a really fantastic job on this, that you can have highly vaccinated people with a really great vaccine, but when they are in a setting where people are not 
uptaking vaccine and transmission is high, their, their risk also increases. But absolutely, people who are not vaccinated for whatever reason ought to think again about why they are not vaccinated. And people should be continually checking their thinking if for some reason they've, they've considered to not get a vaccine. I want to zoom out a little bit here because this is something that I have had trouble really kind of understanding in my gut. You know, I'm fully vaccinated. Most of the people in my social circle are fully vaccinated, but I'm in a state with relatively low vaccination coverage compared to other parts of the country. Certainly, you know, vaccination percentages don't truly reflect the kind of community immunity out there because people get some kind of protection from natural infection over time. So I've had a hard time trying to really understand the threat that this virus poses to me, to my family, to my community. And so how would you explain that to someone who's maybe in a similar situation? I like to think about vaccination when there's plenty of exposure as wearing your seatbelt. If you do not wear your seatbelt and you you drive like a maniac, you're going to have a bad outcome. If you do wear your seatbelt and you do not drive like a maniac, you're going to have a better outcome. And that better outcome is from both wearing your seatbelt and not driving like a maniac because you're not the only person on the road. And community transmission works like that. We all um, respond differently to vaccines. We all respond differently to exposures when we're suddenly faced with a virus or other pathogen that is there with us right at that moment. It can be because Mars and Venus are in conjunction. It could be because we have something else going on at the time. It could be because we're tired. It can be because our diet changed. There are many, many reasons why at any given moment we might be more susceptible to a viral pathogen. So wear your seatbelt. The vaccine still matters, but it doesn't mean that there is not threat. It just means that you have one more tool for you and those immediately around you than you would otherwise. So what does the vaccine really get you? Well, it does absolutely decrease your risk of becoming infected. It does absolutely decrease how much you amplify the virus and pass it on to others. Something to be really thoughtful of if you're young, healthy, invincible, and didn't think you needed it, but you're at home with somebody who might be more vulnerable. It does limit how long you are sick should you become sick, and it does absolutely markedly limit the amount of risk you have for a more severe infection. How do you think about what this new strain could mean for the course of the pandemic here in the U.S. and the course of the pandemic around the world. Because, you know, I think there are probably large portions of the country where people's lives are returning to some kind of normal, but they're seeing and hearing about this new variant. Are we in a kind of point, David, where this variant could totally undo the progress that we've made in the last six months with vaccination and driving cases down? Or is this a situation where this variant is going to work through vulnerable populations without necessarily having much impact for folks who are fully vaccinated and in communities with high amounts of immunity and and their lives have kind of returned back to normal? 
I think we're already in the place where people who would, we would not have necessarily considered them to be particularly vulnerable are are in ICUs in the U.S. I mean, anecdotally, I you know I hear from from friends and colleagues in different communities where case rates have climbed a bit and and where they have a healthy share or rather an unhealthy share of Delta variant in their midst, they're seeing young healthy people in their ICUs and so the impact is there. We're we're already experiencing a turn where we're seeing some more cases. And we're also seeing worse disease in younger people. But this is not about Delta. This is about that the pandemic continues and our need for mindful risk management continues. And one of those tools is vaccination. If you go to the CDC website and you go to their COVID data tracker and you select the option for variant proportions, one of the really striking things that one sees when you look at the bar graphs and there's a particular image on it that, that shows the distribution of variants from national surveillance. And what you see are essentially blooms of the variant. We, we know this as epidemiologists, we, we know this, we see this, we know this happens. This is, um, as you said earlier, Sam, the, you know, survival and, and fight of the fittest. But to see it visually, to watch, for instance, the Delta variant as a narrow sliver back in April, and then a big chunk representing almost one in three sequences identified by the time you hit mid-June. And then you see a similar pattern with, with others. One starts to appreciate that there remains a lot of uncertainty moving forward about where this virus will go. What we also should take from that is the larger issue of more variants, faster, growing more frequently, in size. And and so this is not this is not a call or clarion for fear. What this ought to be is a call and clarion for mindfulness and, and purposeful action. And what that means for individuals <clears throat> is deeply think about your vaccine options and what's available to you and take that decision very, very seriously. But it also means for all of us that we, we need to pay attention to the signals that that caught us up last year, right? We, we need to think in rounded ways about how we manage risk in communities. We need to push vaccination. We also have to be really mindful about aggregate settings. We have to think about active screening. We have to be thinking about masks, particularly when we're in areas where we are close to others who are not in our immediate circle. We have to be thinking about personal and environmental hygiene. We have to be allowing ourselves to continue to watch and track and take actions in the pandemic that are thoughtful, that are deliberate, and that recognize that that kind of being proactive matters because if you see these things early, one can take steps and change behaviors. It is not about being mindful about these things only when you're overwhelmed. It is about being mindful, communicating broadly, and mobilizing others to take the incremental steps we prefer rather than drastic steps by paying attention all the time so that we can avoid the drastic steps later. Dr. David Brett Major is an infectious diseases physician at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. WABE's managing editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is chief content officer. You can reach us at 
Wash Your Hands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app. That's also where you can leave us a rating and a review. That really helps other people find the show. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. Sounds Like ATL is a music documentary series that takes an in-depth look at the artists amplifying Atlanta's famed music community. Built around a desire to highlight Atlanta's diverse and world-renowned music scene, each episode features unforgettable, intimate musical performances by fresh new musical guests, each with exclusive interviews about the stories behind their music. Listen to Sounds Like ATL Saturday evenings at 7 on WABE and WABE.org.